We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, here we go. Salute to Knicks Nation, man. CP the franchise here. We got a special edition of Knicks Fan TV. Joining me today is a guest who I've been looking to talk to for a long time now. One of my favorite Knicks from that Knicks tape squad. From one of the greats from Marquette. 11-year career in the NBA. And now he covers the Milwaukee Bucks for Bally Sports Wisconsin. Steve Novak joins us on Knicks Fan TV. Steve, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good in Wisconsin. It's snowing right now, so it's officially <laughs> basketball season. There's, there's nothing better to be doing than being in the gym and going to games, so... It's great to be with you. Absolutely, man. And, you know, we got a chance to chop it up a couple weeks ago at the open practice the Knicks had at the Garden. And I thought it was a great event that they put on for the fans because in the celebrity game, the alumni game, you showed out, man. You look like you could still go for a 10-day contract, man. The, the threes were falling. The discount double check w- w- was taken out, man. What was that feeling like just to be out in the Garden and, and running up and down the floor? Uh, I was it was a it was a hell of a way to spend your Sunday. You know, when you when you retire from the NBA, you know, a lot of people don't know, but it's a it can be an unpleasant type of situation where you still can do it every once in a while, but you can't do it every day. And so that was my I can still do it every once in a while moment. And I was really thinking Coach Tibbs, who I played for back in the day when when he was an assistant with uh, with Jeff Van Gundy in Houston, I was thinking he was going to be out there courtside kind of keeping an eye, gauging things and seeing if I could get a 10 day, like you said, but I didn't see him anywhere out there. I know Maxi was out there and my man, even Chenzo was out there and Brunson was giving love, but I was just there to, to get a 10 day from Tibbs and it didn't happen. So it, it didn't work out for me, but I had a damn good time with my, my Milwaukee brother Spreewell and, you know, going out there against, you know, some actors and, and rappers and guys that, you know what, in Milwaukee, you know what, we don't really run in those crowds like yeah, that. So being yeah. pretty well is normal for me. But being out there with Fat Joe and Tracy Morgan, it was it was a good time. And it's just what makes New York so special. Yeah, no, no question about it, man. And, and, and watching you shoot that ball, man, it was like – you know, that that muscle memory, it, it's still there. And to be a gr- as great of a three-point shooter as you were throughout your career, I mean, what was some of that preparation like just as a kid in terms of practicing, getting those shots up to to get to where you were as a pro? Yeah, it was, you know, shooting really, it always has been a passion of mine. And, you know, my story is I grew up in the gym with my pops. He was a high school coach. And when I was in kindergarten, my mom was dropping me off after school and leaving me in the gym with my dad and he would have practice on one end of the court and I would be, you know, on the other end. And 
you know how it goes. Layups and the mic and drill is fine for a little while, but you end up wanting to shoot some bombs in the first five or 10 minutes. So I was always down there shooting threes and even it from my shoulder as, as far as I could from, you know, as young as I can remember. But, you know, and then obviously at some point, you know, for me, it was in eighth grade. It was basketball became just something I was obsessed with and I wanted to be great at. I wanted to play on my varsity team and who was my, my dad was the coach and, you know, get a college scholarship and of course dream of playing beyond that. And so I started setting goals for myself and, you know, making 300 jump shots every day after school, starting in eighth grade. And, you know, then some tools like the, the rebounding machine, the gun came along and you could just so efficiently get up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shots. And so, you know, the, 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 the basketball and, and, you know, the gun, they became my best friends and I just be in the, in the gym getting shots. And obviously it worked out for me. I was very blessed to have an awesome career and, you know, to be able to display it in, in New York at the garden, the, you know, the greatest arena, the what an incredible basketball city. I think that's what I always dreamed of was to be able to prove that, you know, I could do it on the highest level. And it felt like, you know, being in New York and making shots and, you know, having success with some of those teams was for sure for me, just uh, one of the most special, you know, times of my life. So, it was great being back, like you said. I, I relish in that as yeah. well, and you have some great memories coming back. Uh, 11 seasons in the NBA. You had multiple stops. It was you had Houston and San Antonio and, and the Clippers. But when you came to the Knicks, you were here for a couple of years, and a couple of years that were some of the better years in terms of the, the 2000s for this team. What do you think it was that clicked for you under D'Antoni, under Mike Woodson, and, and, and the respective rosters, what do you feel like clicked for you finally when you, when you got to New York? You know, it really was. It was a lot of things that, that clicked. And, you know, part of it was for sure like maturity and, and timing. As far as me personally as a player, I think you watch it with a lot of guys where the first few years are finding their way. They haven't found maybe the right system or the right coach. And all of a sudden they find that right spot. And so New York was that for me. And you know, I give Mike D'Antoni so much credit because there's no question his style, his confidence, it's in me, suited me so well. And, you know, it's it's not just one thing. Obviously, my maturity being, you know, 26, 27 years old, I was kind of coming into that point where, you know, all right, I've been in the league, I've been in some different situations, and I'm good enough to be at that higher level now and, and really be efficient. And then also, like I was saying, D'Antoni's system, he, he would say to me in timeouts sometimes, he would be waiting to see who the other team was going to sub in to figure out who we were going to sub in to match up. The other team would be taking too long to make their subs. And he would just look at me and go, Novak, just get out there. As long as you score more points than your guy, you stay in the game. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes there's, you know, coaches that they see your deficiencies and they say, you know what? Oh, you got scored on or, oh, you're not this. And Mike D'Antoni was never that. He was basically a, I know what you do well. I want you to go do that. It was the same with Tyson Chandler. It was the same with Jeremy Lin. It was the same with, you know, guys like Mike Bibby and all those guys. It was what do you do really well? And so, you know, we had special groups, you know, like you're alluding to having the Mellows and the Amaris and the Tyson Chandlers and the Jared Jeffries and the Jason kids during that era. There's so many guys I could name. And so I think just the fact that we had that underdog mentality, we had a lot of guys that were, you know, really trying to prove themselves. And, you know, Mike D'Antoni, uh, in, in my first year and then Mike Woodson in my second, I think they really allowed us to to showcase who we were. And, man, we sh I left my man J.R. Smith out, too. I got to give him some yeah, love. He was yeah. on the wing shooting that thing. So 
we had some good times and I just I just love looking back and remembering those those years. And when you look back on those days at the Garden, you had a couple of signature moments, man. You know, 14 points against the Mavs in the fourth quarter during the Lynn Sanity run. You had 25 against the Celtics. Which game sticks out to you as like, you know, every, whenever, and when every player comes here, there's at least one night where it's just that MSG moment where they're just going off and, and they're blowing the roof off the place. What game was that for you? You know what? You really did just nail. There were two games, you know, that first game, uh, you mentioned the 14 points in the fourth quarter against the Mavs. You know, that was that was when the belt came out. That was when the <laughs> dis- right, double check right. first started. <laughs> so for me, it was, you know, we had a we had a team security guard who was saying, Novak, you're from uh, Wisconsin. You're a Packer fan. You always talk about Brent Favre and Aaron Rodgers and how they're your guys. And he was saying, you know, look, you should do the belt. And I said, that's ridiculous. I'm never that's that's not my thing. But then whatever happened in that Mavs game it was a Sunday and uh, I had been on the Mavs the previous year and they had cut me when Karan Butler, he blew his knee out and they cut me and they signed Peja Stojakovic and they went on to win the championship. And I was always a little bit hurt by that just mm. as it happened in yeah. the NBA. And so there's always that little extra emotion when you're playing a team that you were previously on was released from. And so that was one of those games where you got to kind of prove to that team, hey, you know, you missed out on me. You, you you cut me. That was a mistake. And so that was a special game. And you're right, against uh, Boston was one of those games where it just seemed like no matter where I shot it from, it was going in. JR was knocking shots down as well. We had it going, and the garden was, was just on fire. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, just that whole insanity run. Mm-hmm. Because that was really, you know, my coming out party as well. And I was able to ride the wave of what Jeremy was doing, which was it, it just it brought so many people to the surface and, and, you know, high tides float all ships. And the way Jeremy was playing, the attention he was getting and the yeah. shots he was making, it was just unbelievable. And you kept thinking it was over every time, every game. And it just continued. And so yeah. there was a lot of special memories. But those three, I would say the the Mavs game, the Boston game and all of Linsanity were right up there with the greatest moments of my life. No, no question about it, man. And and I remember I was down in Atlanta at the time in, in grad school and I'm watching and I remember that Mavs game was on ABC and Linsanity was just starting to take four. But then, and then you're out there and they're like, wait a minute, J.R. Smith, he's coming off the plane. He's coming to play today. So I'm like, what is going on? And then they beat the champs. You guys beat the champs that day. Garden was rocking, man. It was just goosebumps all over the place. And as you said, that that run was certainly magical. What do you remember about what was the, the locker room energy like? during that that 35 game stretch man you know it really was a special group it was it was guys who i think we we were we thought of ourselves as underdogs as we weren't expected to you know to win that many games you know and and insanity was so special in that following year it's like we won 54 games and i think when you look back and you look at just the winning that happened i think that's what made that group special obviously you know you had incredible players with you know, Melo and Amari and the, and the JRs and Hall of Famers in my second year and in J Kid and and so you realize there's there's guys that that NBA fans they know who they are they've watched their careers they're special guys but when you win and you put a, a, a mishmash group together I just think you know that's what made it so special was I think you know in New York we hadn't won in a while. And so for us to kind of get the garden on fire and to be doing things that people were always saying, you know, oh, you're not going to be able to, to be good enough. And that's what obviously 
you know, Jeremy Lin hurt his whole life. You're not going to be good enough. You're going to get cut. You know, I had been cut the year before. Jared Jeffries had been bouncing around. J.R. Smith, you know, oh, well, you got personality issues. One of the mm. best guys I've ever met in my life. Mm. And uh, and I think we all bonded over that. You know, we kind of just felt like we belonged together. And there was just this incredible sense of unselfishness. No one was out there to get theirs. You know, Jeremy was cooking, but he was never out there to get his. Jared Jeffries was setting screens and Tyson Chandler was rolling to the rim, not getting the pass. We were shooting the shot from the perimeter, you know, possession after possession. And so I think any great team, it always is about the ability, but also, you know, the cohesion and the unselfishness. And we had so much on. Unsel- the guys were so happy every time I made a shot, mm. when JR made a shot, when Jeremy did something right. You know, Mike Bibby was out there making sure everybody got touches. And uh, I think that was the feeling was just like we're riding this wave together. And, you know, we didn't know where it was going to where it was going to end up and how good we could be. But, man, we had a good time doing it with dapping up Spike Lee on the sideline. <laughs> you know, you'll, you just feel like you take a, a moment every once in a while when there's times like that. And you go like, man, you know what? Like, I always dreamed of being out here on the, on the biggest stage in the brightest lights. Mm. And so that's what that's what that that era really felt like, you know, to me. And I think really to the whole group, we were out there, you know, doing it at the guard. Once again, we're talking to Steve Novak, former Nick and currently covers the Milwaukee Bucks for Bally Sports, Wisconsin. And Steve, when I look at the 2012 and 13 team, you know, everything just, just broke right. You guys had Carmelo playing at such a high level. You had the younger players, three-point shooting all over the place. Then they brought back a lot of my favorite vets. Uh, Rasheed Wallace, one of my favorite players. You had Kurt Thomas come back, Marcus Camby, Jason Kidd. And then when I went to that opening night game against the the Heatles, the big three, and I was so tired of the, the, the heat talk, and you guys went out there and ran them out of the building, that was one of the most memorable nights of my life. But... I also felt like, yes, it's only the first game, but this team has something special. Then you guys go on to win 54 wins, 54 games. Did you feel like that team had that potential when when, when it first came together? You know, in the beginning of the year, I feel like there's always that optimism, you know, for pretty much every team. You got a lot of guys talking about, we're going to win the championship this year. We're going to be great. And then mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks, you kind of realize, all right, there's, you know, the separation that happens. But with yeah. our group, like you just mentioned, the thing that made it so special was there was the Sheeds and the Marcus Cambys and the Kurt Thomases and the Jay Kids and Pablo Prigioni as a mm-hmm. 35-year-old yeah, rookie. Yeah. And so, you know, the one thing I sensed with that team was, you know, we had star power. When you have Melo and you have Amari and you have Tyson and those guys, they can, they can get you wins. But what was interesting to me was I think the fact that we had such – great veterans. I mean, those are guys that are favorites in NBA history as far as in the locker room with Sheed and Kurt Thomas and Camby and Kidd. And I felt like Melo and Amari, they had these guys with them in the locker room that were their dogs. And they could go to them no matter if it was in-game, if it was on the plane, if it was just, you know, at practice to have these guys around them that a lot of times I think when you're the star, everyone is looking at you. Everyone's coming to you to say, you know, what do we got to do or what do you want from me? And you need to set the tone. And I think that's fair a lot of times. These guys are getting paid the big bucks and they want that responsibility. But with that group, I felt like Melo and Amari, they had the Kurt Thomases right with us the whole time. They had Sheed with us the whole time. So it almost felt like they didn't need to be the full-on emotional and example leadership. We had great vets that I think 
gave great advice, gave great perspective, had great accountability. And, and to be honest, their personality is made for just a, a really like good time. You know, they're not the like overly accountable guys. You know, mm-hmm. the machines, the cameras, they're like the get it done kind of guy. Like, you want to come in 10 minutes late? Fine, come in 10 minutes late. But you better make sure you get it done when the get lights ready. are on. You want to yeah. you want to not be uh, you want to be a couple minutes late for film. You know what? All right. You're a couple minutes late for film. But you better lock in and know our coverages. And I, I appreciated that because you go into so many different situations with coaching styles and accountability styles. And, you know, sometimes it's like if you're late, you're suspended and you're mm-hmm. you're out. For it. We had it was amazing. We had guys late all the time, but it was as long as you show up when the lights are on and get it done. That's what we're here for. And I just I thought that was a really a powerful uh, message that our group had. And I just I love being with all those guys. They were they were great great mentors is there a favorite story you have that that came out of that locker room you know as you guys are kind of going through that 82 game battling into the playoffs is, is there one one story or another that that sticks out to you oh, man. there's a lot of good stories you know some of the i'll be honest some of the coming in late stories might be my favorite because we're in an era in the nba where they're the guys in the league are so high character and there's so such a high accountability. I mean, the food in the facilities is from the best organic mm. places. In the world. It, it, everything, the, the recovery rooms, there's a hot tub and a cold tub and you have everything you need. But I think like I was saying a minute ago, the, one of the things I took away from that group and some of the great stories would be coach Woodson. Sometimes I won't name any names, but there would be guys that were, they weren't there on time. And coach Woody was a personality where he was, he was one of the guys, but he was your leader. Mm. He knew everything. He saw everything, but he wasn't your dad. He wasn't reprimanding you and telling you what you did wrong. And so he would say, you know, we'd be in there getting our vitamins, you know, before practice, getting our work, uh, our workouts in our shots. And he'd come out and say, Hey, is, you know, so-and-so here is so-and-so here. And they'd be like, Oh, like not yet. And you know, the grind of the NBA season, sometimes you go, okay, well, you know, they're, they're on their way. We're in communication with them. It's not here yet. And he would go, all right, sounds good. He'd go, he'd say, let me know when they get here. And he'd go back in his office. And it would be, you know, we were supposed to start practice at 1030. It'd be 1040, like not there yet. And Tyson Chandler would, he would, he'd come out, hey, fellas, like anybody talk to, you know, so-and-so, I got to pick my kids up from school today. It's <laughs> going, man. And we're like, hey, what, what do you want to do, man? And then as soon as, you know, so-and-so would get there, we go get Coach Woody out of the out of his office. Hey, everybody's here. We'd be in the film room. All right. And we would party. And, <laughs> and I just think back to that. And it's so different than a lot of leadership and a lot of the places I was would tell you is acceptable or it could even ever be considered. Mm. And it's, in a way, it was so powerful because you realize once everyone was there, you were bought in, you were focused, you were there to do a job. And as soon as that wasn't the case, then Tyson spoke up and then mm-hmm. Coach Woody spoke up. But until then, as long as you were getting buckets, you were playing defense, you knew your coverages and your scouting reports, they were like, all right, keep being keep being professional. Just try to get here a little, little earlier. As we look at today's team, you know, coming off of last year's two games short of the Eastern Conference Finals, 47 wins. Uh, the revelation that was Jalen Brunson playing at an all-star level. This year, the current roster, they're pretty much rolling over with the addition of, of Dante DiVincenzo, a guy who you've seen in, in Milwaukee for a couple of years. What, what do you think about the, the makeup of, of this current Knicks team? You know, like you said, I think, you know, since Jalen has really come into his own, 
you know, the, the fire has been back in the building. And I can sense it. Like you said, last year, winning, you know, 47 games and, and being a team that, you know, is, has that Coach Thibodeau style to it um, and certainly still does. And I think um, I feel like you sense like there is this buildup that's happening in New York, that something special is going to happen there. I think like we've already seen in the young season with just a few games in, you've also seen inconsistency where there's nights where, you know, Jalen is, you know, five or six for 21, but you also see him go off for 31 points and knock down eight three-pointers and, you know, set a personal high with that. And so I think in a young season with most teams, as I'm doing broadcasts with the Bucks this year, we're seeing the same thing with Giannis and Dame and trying to figure things out. Dame had 39 points mm -hmm. in game one. He had six points in game two. And you go like, how did Dame have six points in a game? But I sense that early on right now with New York too, with some of the inconsistencies with Brunson and, and Randall. But um, my boy Dante, he had an offer the other yeah. night. And I was thinking, my man Dante, he can't have an offer. He's way too good. And then, you know, he bounces back and plays well. And so I'm excited watching the Knicks because I think when the ball is in Jalen's hands and when Julius Randle is rolling and confident and taking good shots, I mean, you can just, you can sense then RJ Barrett is right there with these guys and, you know, playing his role, but it seems like they're all their best when they're all clicking. It, and it feels like a lot of times with this group, one guy's going at a time, but you can sense when Jalen's going and Randall's getting his touches and RJ's playing and they got the, you know, hard out there, moving his feet and getting into guys. You can, you can, I think, really sense the, the team that this New York team can be. And so I think, you know, you're looking at playoffs with this group, and I think anything short of some playoff success is going to be a huge disappointment. As a shooter, uh, there's a lot of hope for, a lot of optimism for Quentin Grimes. Now, he's a guy who's starting two guard right now, a very high floor as a 3 and D player in the offseason He's been working out with J.J. Redick. He's been down in Memphis working with, uh, with with Penny Hardaway, working on his movement, shooting, shooting off the dribble. As a fellow shooter, is there anything that you've noticed with Quentin Grimes that, that you feel like he should continue to work on? Or, or are, there, are there things that you admire about his game right now? Like, What do you see when, when you look at Quentin Grimes and, and his shooting? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, I really, I love his game and he has something that as a shooter I never had, which is the ability to stay on the court, you know, even if you're not making shots because he can really impact the game from the defensive end. I mean, he can be the heart. So I think about, 
you know, him out there just putting his chest on guys and moving his feet and missing a shot. And you know what? That's okay. For me, like I was joking about Mike D'Antoni earlier, if I score more points than my guy, I can stay in the game. If I don't, I got to come sit down. But, you know, Quinn is a guy who sets the tone on the defensive end and gets himself going on the offensive end with that defense. And so the fact that I think he really, he clearly has become a guy that Coach Thibodeau values and has out there in the starting lineup, I think just what we've seen since he was, you know, drafted, there's a confidence in him to have him out there on the court. He's a guy that Coach Tibbs loves, which playing for a guy who's played for Coach Tibbs, that goes a really long way. You know you have a little more leash, and the fact that he's a defense-first kind of guy and understands if he can make shots and not force things, although, like you said, he's working with Penny Hardaway and J.J. Redick, working on all these different things. If he's a guy who can catch and shoot, which he's continued to prove he's getting better and better at, with everything else he does in his game, he will be a long-time starter because he's not taking too many shots away from the alphas, you know, the Jalens and the Juliuses. He plays his role perfectly, and so I just love his fit. I think he's that, you know, I would call him that that fifth starter, although it's not always fair to say. I just think those guys who are the fifth starters, they have to have a certain acumen, a certain role that they play, and I think he plays it really perfectly. And when you speak on impacting the game, if your shot's not falling, it's it's what I've been looking for R.J. Barrett to do, especially as as his shot has come into question. He's had an up and down, especially from three. In the second year of the season, he shot 40% from three, but it's kind of tapered down a little bit. But this year, especially from the playoffs and through FIBA World Cup and into, into the, the early part of the season, you're seeing a better approach on his drives. He's playmaking a lot better. Uh, very aggressive in terms of his attack to the basket and playing defense on the other side as well. And and for me, as as probably the only true wing on the team, I think he's got an important role on this team. What, what's been your thoughts on uh, on R.J. Barrett? Yeah, I agree. And just knowing that that's what Coach Tibbs is looking for, that's what he is going to have to do. I agree. I think you get yourself going on the offensive end by playing defense because that means Tibbs is going to give you a leash. If you miss a couple shots, which every guy's going to, and like you said, RJ's gone through his struggle shooting the ball, Coach Tibbs will leave you out there if you're rebounding, if you're defending, if you're calling your defensive coverages, if you're in the right spot. Some guys don't have that leash. RJ certainly does. And so, like you said, I think I feel like when you've seen him at his best defensively is when he's been at his best offensively. He's shown, you know, in glimpses, obviously, you know how good he can be in the second game this year against Atlanta when he had 26 points. It's like you see, okay, when he's rolling, when he's feeling good, this team is at its best. And, you know, my Milwaukee Bucks just took a loss to Atlanta, a very good team, and watching how, you know, New York got hot with Jalen shooting the ball and RJ getting going. I think you really do see that it's like when all three of those guys are out there in chemistry and, and clicking, they're at their best. And a lot of times at their best means – you know, Jalen is out there fighting. You know, the rot- the defensive rotations are happening on time. But it does. There has to be some defensive leadership out there by your stars. And so I think, you know, R.J. Barrett, he is that guy because he's shown he's certainly capable of being put on some some of the top players on the opposing team night in and night out. And when he puts his mind to it, he can be very disruptive. Once again, we're talking to Steve Novak, former Nick, and currently uh... – uh, color commentary or, or analyst rather for the Milwaukee Bucks on Bally Sports Wisconsin CP the franchise here salute to Knicks Nation uh, Steve on the Bucks side of things just a, a few few games into the early season the Damian Lillard era has begun with, with Giannis what's been the, the biggest difference you've seen again early 
in terms of how the Bucks are looking now with Dame as opposed to when, when Drew Holiday was, was on this team? Yeah, first of all, it was hard losing Drew Holiday. I think the whole league knows he's just one of the best people and, and players in this entire league. And so he meant so much to this Bucks franchise, helping win a championship and then, you know, obviously getting traded for Dame. And so I think once you get finished mourning uh, <laughs> the trade of Drew, and now he's in Boston, obviously, um, then you get to get excited about Dame. And obviously that's the case. I think when you know you can have a pairing of of a Giannis and a, and a Dame Lillard out there, you realize they complement each other so well. And, um, you know, it's a, there's a lot of new faces in Milwaukee right now with Coach Adrian Griffin, you know, taking over for Coach Budenholzer. You know, it's a little different style, another, a new personality, new coaching staff. And you bring in, you know, a Dame Lillard to complement, you know, a Giannis Tenacupo. And you saw already in game one with Milwaukee against Philly, it was unbelievable to see how well they played. Giannis was going, not the cleanest game, but Dame Lillard has 39 points and goes off, and it's basically Dame time from game one. Then you quickly fast forward to game two, and he has just six points in game two uh, against Atlanta, which was kind of a shock, and it was one of the lowest scoring games he's ever had. And so you realize, okay, it's not all going to be perfect, you know, right off the bat. But this Bucks team has got a new look. You know, they got Malik Beasley in the starting lineup, playing a little bit of defense, knocking down some shots, and kind of being that, that fifth starter guy for Milwaukee. Um, because Grayson Allen, you know, he was a part of that trade as well for Damian Lillard. And so uh, losing two starters is always going to shake things up quite a bit. But, you know, just uh, they, the Bucks bounced back and they beat Miami, even though Bam Adebayo was out. And, um, but we're well underway now, a few games in. And I think you just you do sense that the expectation certainly for this team is obviously to, to win a championship or bust. And, you know, when you got a Giannis and a Dame paired up, I think there's they would expect and they want those high expectations. And you just know there's going to be some fun, fun nights at Pfizer Forum. And, you know, Dame shooting that thing from 35, 40 feet. And Giannis down there just dunking on guys every time he can. And, and Giannis looks really, really good so far in the year. You know, there's times where you feel like a guy's maybe not ready for season or he might be nursing something. Giannis, is, he's been powerful so far to start the year. So it's a good sign. And they're off to a two-and-one start right now. So we'll... We'll see in about a month or two. I feel like we'll have an idea what all these teams are are really made of. Yeah. And, and is there one area where, not to say concern, because it's only three games, th- only a couple games into the season, but is there an area where you say, this is what I want to watch as the season progresses to see if, it, are, are they vulnerable there? Is that a spot of weakness? Is, is there one part uh, of the team that, that uh, you, you're curious, curious about? Yeah, there's a couple areas. I think, you know, defensively, I think when you lose a Drew Holiday, you realize you're losing a guy who could be, you know, considered by many the best perimeter defender in the NBA. And so he was put out there on the best player on the other team on the perimeter. And, you know, to be honest, sometimes he was out there guarding Zion Williamson too. So he was put on some of the big fellas. Um, Who is going to be that guy, you know, when it really comes time to get stops and to get wins and to go up against the best competition? You know, you think about the Miamis and the Bostons and, in the East and some of the battles that Milwaukee's had over the past couple of years, who's going to be that Jimmy Butler stopper? Who's going to be that, whoever that best player is. So that's one of the things you, I think we're, we're looking to see, obviously Brooke Lopez anchors the interior on defense. Giannis is a defensive player of the year. It's not like the bucks don't have defense, but drew meant a lot. And so how does, you know, a little shift to offense with Dame look versus kind of a all around game that drew brought. Um, and then I think, you know, what do games look like late in games? Because Giannis has been an incredible closer in the past. 
Dame obviously has been an incredible closer, the way he's unpredictable and can shoot it from absolutely anywhere. And just so, you know, just I think how that dynamic works late in games because fine, does it matter, you know, regular season late in close games? Yes. But when it comes playoff time and the ball needs to be in someone's hand, will that relationship between Dame and Giannis have developed where there's just a trust? The guy who's supposed to have it will have it. Um, I'm curious to see because, you know, whenever there's, you know, multiple alphas, it's always about that feeling, that fit. And at times certain guys are in each other's lanes and other times they complement each other perfectly. And so far it looks really good in Milwaukee, but just curious to see kind of how that develops. And, and as you mentioned, who's going to be kind of that defensive point person kind of looks like it's like Malik Beasley's role right now. And so as Jalen Brunson and guys like Emmanuel quickly come into town for this matchup, you know, what do you, how do you think the Bucks and, and Adrian Griffin approach kind of trying to slow these guys down? You have a Jalen Brunson who, who loves to get into the paint, very crafty in that regard. How do you see the Bucks kind of scheming a, a against uh, Jalen Brunson? Yeah, you know, Brunson, I'm glad you brought him quickly as well because, you know, just seeing the spark that he brings this team, boy, I, I mean, he is that X factor. I feel like for the Bucks, you know, it's, it's Bobby Portis. You know, he comes off that bench and he gets buckets and he's, he, when he plays well, it's like you might as well just mark it down as a win. And I feel like quickly is that same guy. And so I do think that there'll be a very much a consciousness of quickly because he's obviously shown in, you know, the first few games already kind of what he can, what he can do and how hot he can get. But, you know, I think I would anticipate the Bucks being very aggressive, you know, f- with physicality and presence and size on Jalen because they realize if they can, smother him if they can make him uncomfortable if they can get him to miss a few shots instead of knocking down eight threes like he did earlier this week you know it's a whole different it's a whole different game and you know I think you do you do pay attention to just what the last few games look like and look when Jalen's shooting the ball well it's a win and when he's not you know it's it's a couple losses and so um there's no doubt the Bucks and Adrian Griffin specifically his his ideal defense it's a little bit of chaos. It's it's a lot of physicality. It's maybe getting some fouls early, even putting a Marjan Bochampa, a young guy out there to, you know, play some play some Dia uh, Jackson Jr., who I know has got some New York ties. Yeah, uh, like that Connecticut, putting a young guy out there just to, you know, bother him and run around and chase a guy like that. So that's been uh, Adrian Griffin's approach so far, and I would anticipate that against the Knicks. And then against Julius Randle, obviously, you know, Giannis playing him one-on-one, that's going to be a tough one for Julius Randle. Yeah, Brooke Lopez applying some some help. But it's, it seems like with Julius Randle, especially just watching him over the course of his career, it's how does he handle double teams or, or multiple attention? You know, against the Hawks, he was great, facilitating very well, almost had a triple-double. Against the Pelicans, it was a nightmare. A, couple, a lot of turnovers and just, just being careless with the ball. just seems like, you know, when teams turn Julius Randle into a guy that really has to anticipate and be two steps ahead, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So I think we, we might have to expect Adrian Griffin to, to uh, apply the same type of pressure. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. And I think, one, because that's who Adrian Griffin's defense, that's who he wants him to be. But, you know, two, I think I would guess you'll see that early because, like you said, the weapons that Milwaukee has are the Brook Lopez who are able to just cover things up when guys get beat. But you've also got the Giannis Tentacupo as a weak side shot blocker. And so typically on the big fellas, although Julius, he likes to step out and, you know, create problems from the mid-range and from three a little bit. I think, you know, if he, if Julius can get going from three, it creates a whole other issue, I think, for the Bucks defense. But if he's more on the interior where you're having to deal with the Brooke Lopez 
and a Giannis Tendacupo and help. And like you said, knowing that he can be turnover prone at times, I think they're going to try to exploit that and see if he'll uh, he'll turn that thing over a few times. Even though Milwaukee's had their turnover problems so far early yeah, in the season, yeah. too, with a 23 turnover game against Atlanta. But you're right, yeah. both teams, I think, uh, you know, trying to clean some of that up. And so I think that'll probably be top of mind for both teams. You're never going to stop Damian Lillard fully, but did you see anything from that Hawks game in terms of Quinn Snyder's approach defensively? Did you see anything there that the, that the Hawks did well? Yeah, you know, as a Bucks analyst, I shouldn't be giving too many tips away, but it's out there on video now. I'm not, I'm not sharing too many secrets, but... You know, like you said, Quinn Snyder, uh, coach of the Atlanta Hawks, you know, he, he's I played for him in Utah and he's a very good coach. He makes a lot of adjustments. He's overthinking things a lot of times. And it, you could see, like you said, so what did he do against Dame that, that made that happen? Dame missed some shots. We know you can't really hold Dame down typically, but there's no doubt what they did was they really put pressure on Dame and then they doubled the ball. They put oh. they threw two guys at Dame, I think more so to just get the ball out of his hands. And they definitely did. Um, I think to Dame's credit, he was a, a willing passer. He didn't, you know, force things or miss too many shots. But looking back, there's no doubt that Milwaukee wasn't, the guys weren't able to get to the outlet spots and allow Dame to really reverse that thing, get it out of his hands and get a quick swing swing. Because someone had to be open. If you're putting two on Dame, you got Giannis on the court. You obviously want to try to find those mismatches because you can't double team everybody in. Uh, Atlanta did a really good job of, and I'm sure Coach Tibbs is paying attention, of pressuring Dame and putting two on him. And you got to make choices. You know, you can't put two on Dame. You can't put, you know, two on Giannis at the same time. But it worked out for, for Atlanta in that one. When I look at this Knicks bench, you know, there's a lot of question marks there. They've added DiVincenzo there. They did re-sign Josh Hart. But there are questions about how they look at the backup four. Are they undersized? Are they are they going to be, you know, overmatched at times? How do you see that that Knicks bench there with really uh, three or four guards when you factor in R.J. Barrett running with that unit and then Isaiah Hartenstein, but no true backup four? Yeah, you know, I, you just wonder how that roster is going to evolve, you know, throughout the year. Because like you said, Hartenstein, he's a you know big fella who is very skilled. But as far as, you know, coming in, I, I'd mentioned Bobby Portis, you know, for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's kind of that that dream sixth man backup four man that probably could be starting. I think you look at the Knicks roster and you think about, you know, you look at a Bobby Portis, you know, you could plug him in at the four very easily with his skill set and just his ability to score the ball and the size. And so I think I don't see that, like you're saying, um, off the bench. Obviously, like you said, the guard play off the bench when you've got guys coming in, banging down shots and bringing energy, I think is what you need to lean on. And, and I think because Coach Tibbs does such a good job defensively with the guys being so crisp and understanding their defensive rotations, you know, if you bring in a smaller lineup off the bench and you end up having to double team because there's some mismatches out there, I think just the fact that it is a defense first team, it gives New York such a good chance in every game because guys aren't going to be out of position. They're not going to know where they're supposed to go. And, you know, the truth is in, in the NBA, guys know how to force mismatches on so many pick and roll possessions the way it is and so uh those backside rotations and and finding ways to truly keep a man on a man even if it's a mismatch which coach Tibbs does such a good job of I think without having that that you know I would say that uh that go-to four man off the bench I think New York's still going to be all right because guys I think take so much pride in their in their individual defense 
We'll have to see how these two teams fare in the first matchup of the in-season tournament. Knicks versus Bucks in Milwaukee. Certainly looking forward to that one. And Steve, I got two quick ones, two quick, quick, quick questions for you here. Uh, Jimmy Butler, your fellow Marquette alum, uh, he came out with his all-time NBA starting five. Did you see this? (laughs) I did. Yeah, I did. And on this list, we have current Nick Dante DiVincenzo. Scott Padgett, Kyle Singler, Al Horford at the five, and Steve Novak at the two. What did you think about that, man, when Jimmy Butler threw you out there? All-time starting five. You know what? I, I got I have to accept the love from my Marquette brother, Jimmy Butler, even though <laughs> with Miami last year and what he did to my Milwaukee Bucks cooking us, uh, I should have harder feelings. But, you know, I think uh, we're, we're bonded from our Marquette days and, if he's still showing love and putting me in the all-time uh, uh, starting lineup on his end, then I'll, I'll find a way to put my hard feelings aside, even though he averaged 37 points per game in the five-game first-round matchup last last year against my Milwaukee Bucks. So I accept it. Uh, I'll take any starting five I can, I can get on, as you saw from the uh, alumni celebrity game. I'll, I'll take that starting lineup, too. There you go. There you go, man. And then on the celebrity game, you know, fans were happy to see you there, but they were scratching their heads a little bit, Steve, because the next day you posted a picture with you and my guy, Fat Joe, with the caption, still not a player. But that's a big pun line. That That's that that's a big pun line. Were you aware of the blunder? You know, I was. I feel like I knew it was big pun, but Fat Joe's a part of it. And, you know, I guess maybe that's just the limits of like, you know, I'm a I'm a dad now. I'm retired. <laughs> maybe that's just it's it's better that it, it was a blunder. You know, yeah, if I yeah. came off, clean, I feel like street cred is something I, I don't have. I probably won't ever again. And uh, blunders, you know, on Twitter is probably more a good look for me. So I'm just going to I'm going to act like I did it on purpose, but I didn't. Just ride it out. I, I hear you. I hear you, man. No no shame in that. As a fellow dad, I can understand. I'm, I'm losing touch on certain, you know, aspects of pop culture myself, man. So I, I can certainly relate to that, man. No worries on that. Um, and then lastly, uh, you have a great organization and competition called Twos, Freeze, and Threes. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about that and, and what they can uh, expect. Yeah, so Twos, Freeze, and Threes, it's, uh, you know, in a nutshell, it is the basketball version of punt, pass, and kick. And so there's, you know, punt, pass, and kick for football. There's drive, chip, and putt for golf. There's pitch, hit, throw for baseball, and twos, freeze, and threes for basketball. And so we launched it a few years ago in Wisconsin. We've had thousands and thousands of shooters now in Wisconsin. We've, you know, cr- we've crowned uh, divisional champions, you know, per age division. And we've also crowned a grand champion last year. that got a $10,000 prize. Um, it was a school ch- teacher here in, here in Wisconsin. So just some cool stories have come out about it. And, uh, it's just been awesome to, to. I know that there's incredible shooters all over the, uh, this country, and, and we're just going state to state right now. We we started in Wisconsin. We're coming to New York in 2024. We're also in uh, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Arizona in 2024. So we're coming to find the shooters. So check out uh, twos two s freeze like free throws freeze three s twos freeze threes dot com. And uh, check out where the competitions are at. And, you know, if you think you're a good shooter, you can sign up. You can come prove it. It's a two-minute course, 21 spots. Got uh, five three, five shots in the paint, five mid-range, ten three-pointers, and a money ball. That's a deep one. And uh, we'll, see what, we'll see what the shooters out there got. But it's been fun to see kind of uh, some people coming out of the woodwork. And 
that can really shoot that thing. There it is, man. Well, congratulations. Keep giving back to the game. We, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you come back on the show. We'll talk a little bit of Knicks Bucks. And when twos, twos, threes, and threes comes to New York, please come back on so we can get the people out and, and support. I appreciate that for sure. Great being on. And uh, like you said, whenever Milwaukee and New York match up, I expect to be hearing from you. There, there we go, man. Steve Novak, thanks again. It was an honor. And uh, have a good one, man. Sounds great. Great being with you.